And welcome back to another episode of the Good Buddy Sports Bar. This week you got your host Skinny B and AP's with me. What's going on? Not much, man. Just got back to the Okanagan and it feels good to be home. A little bit smoky here, but not as bad as I anticipated. I haven't been home yet, so yeah, I haven't been home yet. How are the fires doing there? Oh, I don't know about the fires. I just base it on whether it's smoky outside where I live or not. And it's a little bit smoky, but it was windy today, so hopefully the wind is blowing out the smoke and not blowing it in. And yeah, I would yeah. almost take that over what we had in Ontario for the last couple of weeks while we were there. Um, the humidity is just a killer. Oh, I would tell anyone that I'd rather have the summer where we get smoky days from fires than live in 100% humidity. Sign me up for the smoke anytime. Yeah. Yeah, you don't even have to check the weather before you go golfing or go to the beach, which is kind of nice in the Okanagan. Um, yeah, so we had a couple of weeks ago the Good Buddies Invitational. Fun, fun weekend with the boys. Um, I thought overall, for having nine dudes together that haven't seen each other in quite some time, living under one roof for two evenings, three days, it went off without a hitch. Um had a great time. Golf was great. Um, catching up with everybody was fun. Um, had a couple of brewskis. Shout out to Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch for helping us out for the weekend, bringing some good times to us. Um, thanks for the sponsorship there. Um, yeah, but overall, MC took down the individual title, winning both the Friday round and the Saturday round. I got lucky there on the Friday, shooting 83, uh, turning that into a net 73 for second place. Uh, AB came in third on Friday, and then on Saturday we had Jordan Smith coming in second, and then Brad Smith coming in third. Um, So overall, great weekend. Anything else to add on the kind of golf front? We could chat about the courses and some of the other things. I think Jord actually won the the net uh, round at Taboo on Saturday. Um, yeah, no, it was good. Lots of fun. The fact that the only thing that got broken all weekend was a plastic whisker chair <laughs> that I decided to slide in on the arm <laughs> was uh, a great success. Uh, but no, it's all good. And then you got to give a shout out to Mr. Curtis as well for just securing his club championship at Beverly today. So club champ gets the good parking spot. It was a good, uh, good couple weeks for the boys. Now the question is, does the parking spot start tomorrow or does it start in 2024? We'll have to find out because I've never won one. So I'd I would never know. Spot. I'd be, I'd make the guy, the, the moment I won and they gave me the trophy, I would make the guy move his car. <laughs> this is my Get spot out. now. It's my spot now. Yep. Uh, that'd be hilarious. The, the best part about being the club champ is having the best parking spot. 100%. 100%. Doesn't matter anything else that comes along with it. That's uh-huh. To be able to park at the front and tell everybody to go fuck off, that's the best. Yeah, so Kurt, when you listen, make sure they put your name up by the next time you go into play and enjoy that spot, bud. Yeah, most definitely. Um, 
we played uh, South Muskoka Bay on Friday and then Taboo on Saturday. I know the last time that we recorded the podcast, we were going to be playing The Rock, made a quick audible late in the week to go to Taboo. I think that was probably the best decision of the whole weekend. Um, give me your breakdown on both those courses. Let's start with South Muskoka and then we'll move over to Taboo. Yeah, I mean, South Muskoka is a fun golf course. I wouldn't say it's super challenging by any means, but, you know, it has everything you want from a Canadian Shield golf course. There's some tough holes. There's some, you know, dog legs. I think, you know, the feeling I had about it when I left was if I lived up here or had a house up here, I would definitely want to be a member there. You know, the course was in great shape. It was lots of fun. The The staff were great. Um, I think, you know, playing with two in two foursomes it's a lot of fun when they give you a little bit of space to do what you want to do like you know partner up on par threes things like that um i would rank or south muskoka definitely up in the would play again um category taboo the the audible to go from the rock to taboo i think was a great call not only is it closer to the house but you know it's a fun course it was surprisingly empty and we played you know as three threesomes it felt like we had the whole course to ourselves like we kind of did yeah i was gonna say there's no tea times between 11 and 2 on that day so we teed off right after 11 and nobody was teeing off for another couple hours which was really cool to your point it almost felt like we owned the course um to build off of the South Muskoka Bay, I think it's one of those good bang for your buck courses, right around a hundred bucks. Um, like you said, greens were in great shape. It was only playing from the tees that we played six thousand. Um, I think it only stretches out to sixty three hundred, um, but it does get narrow. It is a narrow course, so you could lose some balls in the trees really quickly, um, and it really does challenge your short game. Um, being able to hit into some of those greens that are a little bit smaller than the greens that you're used to nowadays um, kind of reminds me of, and I know I gave it kind of a bad ranking, but I don't think it was in as good a shape. And also the price is ridiculous for what you got outside of the views. Banff Springs, just like shorty course, old school design, um, but still fun course. I would play it again, most definitely. Um, and not necessarily because I just played well there. Taboo, on the other hand, felt like you were at a private course. And um, the way that it's laid out, I loved off the tees, you could see where you needed to hit it to. So you saw those landing zones. But then almost every green on par fours and fives were hidden around a corner. And I found that to be a really cool feature of the course. Um, so you didn't really know what you were up against for your next shot. Um, so leaving yourself angles was a little bit tough unless you had played there before. Of course, Kirk could just pick a course like that apart because he can place the ball wherever he wants. But like, it was a lot of fun. It was a good time. Yeah, I think it was great. I mean, they have that 19th hole with the like island green or whatever it was that you can just dick around at after your round. That was a lot of fun. I think the only like the only negative I would say is you know, we wanted to play there from the beginning, but they wanted everyone to pay like when we were trying to book it 90 days out, 120 days out, whatever it was. 
you know, they wanted upfront payment. So, you know, 165 bones plus tax for everybody upfront. And they had a 60 day cancellation. So you're essentially like you're committed to playing it. So that's why we had booked the rock just in case, you know, people cancel on the trip, things like that. Um, but you know, outside of that little, um, hiccup or little expectation from them, it was great. I mean, I, I played it a few times. I've always had fun playing there. You know, they have a full grass range. Um, yeah, it's a fun course. It, it's worth a play if you're going to be in Muskoka. It's just, you know, you have to pay up front and the cancellation is non-existent. Yeah. Now, so if you're, if you're listening taboo, Adam and I, Adam and I went out. Yeah. I mean, Adam and I went out and played this little nine hole called diamond in the rough. And it was a recommendation from a friend of Adams. Who's a pro in the area teaching pro. And it was awesome. It's like a full-size nine-hole course, full length, including par five. There's like a 210-yard par three on it. Um, it was in pristine shape. I mean, that is definitely a diamond in the rough, definitely a course. If you got like a couple hours that you want to kill and you want to play some golf, like go play diamond in the rough. It was a lot of fun. Get away from the wife and kid for a couple hours while you're up in Muskoka. Um Two other things. I think I think you've we've hit on everything so far. So overall, great experiences across the board. The staffs were great at both South Muskoka and Taboo. Had a great time, um, and they were very flexible with us. Um, the other two things I wanted to bring up. One was a great surprise from our host. So, like you said, we had to prepay the round for Taboo. So he asked us. Um, he was putting together a welcome gift for the group. Asked us all for an extra 40 bucks, which not a big deal when you're doing a boys trip. And I was trying to guess the whole way up there. Like I had that three day drive going from BC to Ontario. What, what do you get us? What do you put together? I was hoping like maybe some old school dirt cup shirts for the boys for the get together. Um, some updated ones from the last time we got them. Um, something like that. And then we show up and he hands us each a pack of $40 worth of singles for a bunch of degenerates on a golf trip, probably the best play I've ever seen. Like it was the most fun you could have just betting on little things. Like, um, when the two guys came on Saturday, trying to guess who broke the chair. Um, luckily for you, Al, nobody guessed you. So, um, I guess that's a good thing. And then, um, the second thing was the team game that we put together, which I thought was very competitive. Um, we played one, two, three. So, and you could do one, two, three, four if you have a foursome. Um, but you take the best score on the first hole, the two best scores on the second hole, and then the three best scores on the third hole. And you keep on rotating that out throughout the round. And then you total it all up at the end. Um, and I thought that it was a great game. It kept everybody engaged for the whole round, even when AB was just out there bombing it on Saturday and putting up triples he had to pull it in for some of those holes where he actually counted um and friday we actually tied the two teams so overall i thought that was a good game so if you're if you're looking for games uh one two three and um the pack of ones so that the degenerates can gamble while they're there i thought were two good touches yeah and all the, if you're planning a boys trip hand all the boys a stack of singles 20 bucks 25 bucks 40 bucks whatever it is and just 
encourage and enable everyone's degeneracy, it makes it so much fun. Not only like all the par threes, it's always close to the pin. Winner gets a buck from everybody, you know, that kind of thing. But also like betting on who's the next person that's going to walk through that door. So I think that was an unbelievable play. I think everyone should be doing that. That was big time from rugby. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for hosting us. And like you said, not too much went wrong. So overall, good weekend. All right, let's move on. Um, Let's move on to some golf talk now. Okay. So last weekend, we had two tourneys going simultaneously. Um, Actually, within not too far of each other, we had Live Golf in West Virginia at the Greenbrier. And then we had the Wyndham Championship down in North Carolina. Let's start off with the PGA Tour, what happened over there on the weekend. I think there's a lot of things that went down, including Lucas Glover picking up his fifth PGA Tour win, uh, shooting a minus 20, Russell Henley finishing in second, and then I think the other headline is JT finishing at minus 11 and missing out on the um, the. FedEx Cup playoffs, but gave it his best shot there on 17 and 18 to make it in. So we'll start. I wanted to start somewhere, which is the Russell Henley lie on 17. I'm not sure if you saw it, but Russell Henley hits a shot, doesn't quite make the top shelf in order to get it over the ridge towards a pin and roll it out that way. Instead, hits the ridge false front comes all the way back to a collection area where there's a lot of divots in that area ball ends up in this nasty huge divot with a piece of grass tufted up in front of them and um it was probably a wall that was like two inches three inches behind the ball and he had to hit down on that ends up bogeying that hole bogeyed 16 17 and 18 to lose by two this is one of those things where I think the talking point after something like that happens is should there be a change to the divot rule? Should they make it ground under repair? Should they have somebody out in some of those spots um, during tour events filling in those divots and making sure that at least it's a sand base lie? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I'm so torn on it, to be honest. Um, as someone who finds divots and has his ball end up in them, like I would love to be able to move it. But I'm also the one who will stand on the soapbox and say, you guys make millions of dollars a year. Like, play it how it lies and play the course the way it is. Um, But you just hate, like, you just hate to see it come down to, or like a tournament that's close and you're in the hunt and, you know, you're in the lead or close to the lead and then you catch a crappy break like that. Like, it's not like one of the bunkers that we were you know, talking about at the British where, like, if it was full of water, you just wouldn't hit it in there. You'd try not to hit it in there. Um, this is, like, a, a random inconvenience that happens. Um, I like your idea that like, they have someone that at least makes the divots, like, sand-based, so there isn't <clears throat> so much variability in it. Uh, but I think, ultimately, it's you got to hit the right shot and he missed the shot and the result 
it rolled back and unfortunately it was magnified by the fact that there was a shitty divot right in front of it. Yeah. And I'll say to your point, these guys are really good. So like play it as it lies. And I'm not advocating for the rule to be changed. What I would say in general is try to be nice to the next person in line in the sense that uh, to your point, the house we left it in better shape than when we landed there at the end of the weekend. I think this is the same situation. Leave the course in better shape than what you played it in. Um, like somebody clearly just wasn't doing their job. Yeah, well, I mean, if you return your cor- your cart at the end of a round and your sand jugs aren't empty, you're a dick. You're probably not fixing your ball marks. We've walked around many a course, Predator being one of them, where we were just fixing ball marks on the greens for five minutes a hole because we were behind some slower groups, and we had the time, so we just did what we thought was good, and we fixed a bunch of ball marks on the greens. And uh, I don't think enough of that sort of stuff happens. Um, But this one in particular, it was more so like the caddy wasn't doing his job from – one of the groups in front left this nasty divot there. Like even if you stomped it down around the edges, it would have been playable, but it was just this nasty looking thing that you had to play out of. So um, yeah, be nice to others is kind of my whole thing right now. Um, Pay it forward a little bit. Um, I just don't really see a route that you could go with lift clean in place out of divots. It really doesn't make sense. Like it's kind of a freak accident that may happen a couple of times a season to guys who play hundreds of rounds. Like it just doesn't make sense to change the rule. Well, I mean, it cost them the the tournament, right? Like it was a massive turning point, a massive factor in, you know, how he ended up. But I think the, the asshole in me is like, well, you should hit the first shot better. Yeah. Yeah. Some of it is a nasty rule at the same time. Make sure. Fix your, fix your divots and fix your ball marks. Fill your divots, fix your ball marks. Same thing for everybody yeah. that plays golf. Like We don't need to be running around cleaning up after the people in front of us. Yeah, absolutely. Public service announcement from the boys. Um, now, talked a little bit about, I didn't really get into it, but JT ends up, in essence, one stroke somewhere throughout the season or one spot away from making it into the FedEx playoffs, which then in turn I think has some trickle-down effects when it comes to his Ryder Cup opportunity, which we can get into as we're talking about the live event um, in a couple of minutes. But did you happen to see the uh, two chips that JT had as well as that miraculous shot out of the trees on eighteen? Well, oh, eighteen was ridiculous. I he was standing over that ball in the in the trees, and I'm going. We're about to see a historical, like, historic thing happen here. Like, he's going to whip this around this tree, and it's going to land on the green, and he's going to get away. And then he does everything in his power to get it, and it's short. And as he's standing over that chip, I'm going. He's going to hold this. He's actually going to hold this, and he's going to. It's going to be a, a fairy tale, like fairy tale ending. Gets in, you know, probably goes on a run in the playoffs, secures his Ryder Cup spot. Blah blah blah. 
then he hits that chip and it like it looked like it hit a, a like invisible barrier right on the edge of the cup it didn't even make a tick either that was a weird thing i think it hit the pin but it never made the tick so it was the strangest thing did it hit the pin or did the spin just stop it see i, I thought when i watched it that the spin just stopped it and then it turned an auto left either way okay yeah, so like so something that wrong. yeah and something that i was thinking about because 17 he hits this magnificent chip to within six inches so on 18 he hits that shot of the trees which was like a, almost a phil mickelson or bubba watson moment from the masters i know it's not the masters it's not a major but um what a hell of a shot to curve that thing he's aiming out of bounce on the right curves it around that tree and if he would have taken one more club to your point he's right there probably has a 15 20 foot putt for birdie to get into the fedex cup but um with that chip one of the things that i thought of after because i kept on thinking that i hit the pin his caddy being bones mckay what would phil used to do in those big moments what would he have bones go up and do when he was chipping no idea he he would have him yank the pin that he was going to make it and it only saves bad chips so i was thinking right away i go bones should have pulled that flag i'm not going to blame it on bones but it was something that ran through my mind yeah. um, because i thought that he definitely tapped that pin yeah, I don't know. I honestly, I'd have to go back and watch it, man, because I, I didn't even think that it hit the pin. It didn't even cross my mind. I thought it was just like the spin, you know, it had like the two hopper, the one hopper, and the spin just caught it like right on the yeah. edge. Um, but that's an interesting Yeah, go thought. back and take a look. I think the other, yeah, I think the other one in looking at who just barely missed out, like Adam Scott finished 72nd. Yes. In the FedEx Cup as well, and and he he put on a bit of a show. Yeah, and the other thing that I heard today is with these new, so they were calling them elevated events, I guess, or those events that uh, they were increasing the purses for with no cuts. They're going to have what they call signature events next year, and some of those you got auto spots for 70 heads, which is the 70 guys who qualify for the FedEx cup this year, they automatically get in and there's only 10 more spots because it's going to be 80 guys with no cut. So I'm interested to see what the remaining uh, qualification standards are in order to get into some of these events. But to your point, you got Adam Scott and JT on the outside looking in for these elevated events or these signature events what's the PGA tour to do now? Well, you also have Shane Lowry. Like he didn't get in, you know, everyone loves Joel Damon. He didn't get in. Billy Horschel didn't get in. So you're looking at like a handful of guys who, you know, you expect to see in these bigger events that are now competing for like, what are they qualifying on Monday for them? Well, no, that's that's the other thing is we don't like I got to read deeper into it 
but there's going to be different qualification standards. And I don't know if it's like when and you're in during the fall schedule or what, but um, it's going to be interesting how they try and or what those qualifications are to get in. I got to do a little bit more digging, but as of right now, as it stands today, it looks like those guys are on the outside looking in. And that's a tough pill to swallow if you're the PGA Tour right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, Justin Thomas, even though he's in a bit of a blender lately, I mean, you expect him in every big tournament. People expect to see him there. So it, it'll be interesting to see what more comes out of all of this as they start to shake out you know, what their tournament schedules look like, qualifications to get in them. Like, to think that you have... Matt Neesmith, Vincent Norman, J.J. Spawn, and Ben Griffin with automatic spots in there in those tournaments, but you don't have J.T., Adam Scott, Shane Lowry, you know any of the aforementioned guys automatically in those tournaments. Um, there's going to have to be some exceptions in there, and maybe there will be. Yeah. Or maybe this is going to force them to think about how they fill those other spots. Yeah. We're going to have to go back do some more digging on this and we'll chat a little bit more about it next week because it's like I said, it's interesting to see how the PGA tour is going to backtrack now. And if, um, or if there's routes for them to get in already, um, cause looking at it, JT's already sending himself up for a Ryder cup spot, which is questionable. Add on top of that, these signature events, which he may sneak into whom's to say, yeah, whom's to, it is. Holmes is right. I think the other interesting thing that I had to do some research on, you know how like you're watching tournament all year, you watch tournaments all year and they give you like the Comcast tour top ten. Yeah. And I'm like, all year I'm like, what the like what is that? Like what how is that any different from like the FedEx Cup standings? And you know, someone can correct me, but the way I understand it is this. Comcast Top 10 is essentially the top 10 players on the FedEx standings. And it's like the regular season champion. So John Rahm was number one on the list. He made four million bucks as soon as that tournament ended last yesterday. So he was in first. He's in first in the FedEx Cup rankings. But the winner of the Comcast Top 10 or the winner of the regular season gets paid $4 bucks. So if John Rahm somehow goes and wins the FedEx Cup as well, he's not only getting $18 million for winning the FedEx Cup, he's also getting $4 million for being the regular season champion. And I would almost argue that that should be worth more than the FedEx Cup but they're trying to keep people engaged with that M purse. Yeah. I mean, the FedEx cup is, I'm not the biggest fan of the FedEx cup. I don't think that the, like starting with the, you know, you're in first going into last tournament, you get like a minus 10 or whatever. I think that they should cut it down so that the last tournament is the top 32 guys. And you have a five day, bracket like March Madness and you play head-to-head seated you know John Rahm's number one he plays the number 16 guy and 
you know, all the way down, and you play match play for five days, and the whoever comes out of the bracket at the end is the champ. Now, there's a reason everyone loves March Madness. You get to see, aside from getting to watch basketball from sunrise to sunset, you also, like, there's upsets, there's crazy finishes, there's things like that, and I think that would be the best way to finish off the PGA season by having a 32-man head-to-head bracket, five days, suck it up, you got to play golf five days in a row, crown the final champ. I like it, and we've been talking a lot about using match play in different forms within professional golf. It's just underutilized right now and taking away the Dell match play. Um no longer happening anymore it's it's kind of sad that we're not going to see any i know i've also brought up the fact that it is tough on that last day because you only got one match going on the course in this situation you could have two matches um going because you'd have the first second third fourth um going on but it, it is tough from that perspective and i would say i like where you're going with it well, no, you could have you could have sixteen matches a day. You could have sixteen matches a day. It would just have to be a way more elaborate bracket. But then you have a time when you have four hours where it's only going to be two guys on the course because there has to be a championship match at some point. Well, I think you have it where you start the toilet bowl as the first tea time of the day. You know, someone who's lost the last four days. To finish 15th or 16th, they go off first, and then you have all the other matches right behind them. Okay. I see where you're going with it. So you continue to have. I mean, you have everyone, you know, through the top 32 guys. Everyone's going to make money to some extent, right? And you have, you know, the 16 matches going. I think then you get some like entertainment value out of it like who's I, I would honestly watch the toilet bowl game like to to go back to the old gus macker terminology like these two guys lost four days in a row let's see who's not gonna come in last yeah don't embarrass yourself you know it, it kind of segue to the like segue to the Ryder cup slash live side of it is like that's the best part of the Ryder cup is when you're watching match play yeah, and that's yeah, it's the excitement there and you've brought it up many a time where it's like there's not enough hero villain stuff going on in golf because everybody's just doing the same thing out there, rolling the balls out, playing 72 hole stroke play. Um kind of gets redundant and it gets boring. So like sprucing it up along the way with some match play with an all-star weekend with some of this stuff to keep people engaged um i think will go a long ways like all-star weekend and in one of the events is a four-man scramble like how low can they actually go i like it i like where you're going with it you know four-man scramble like long obviously longest drive like close to the pin blah 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 all that fun stuff that you would have going on. And then like four man scramble, you know, make the greens just fucking unbelievably fast, make the rough super long and then let them have at it. Put the pins in the most ridiculous spots. Yeah. I like it. 
And then you watch a team with like John Rom, Brian Harmon, I don't know, whoever else. Add two more guys there. And you watch him play. You know, Harmon pokes a little drive out there in the middle, it's safe, and then two guys go rip at it. Exactly the way we play scrambles, right? And then you get on the green, you got four looks at it, and you know, your last guy putting's Brian Harmon, and he's had three looks at it already. Like how long, how many feet of putts are they going to make that day? Well, it'd be interesting too because they would set the standard for what a four-man scramble score would look like. So everybody says that they finish like 18, 19, under, or just bullshitting everybody, which we already know. Um, But that would just make it real for us. Right. But yeah, I think that, you know, there's a lot that they can do, whether they want to do it or not, whether they're too married to the tradition of the game, but... You know, I think that's why Liv has made a bit of a splash is they're like, you know, they're more so catering to like the way we play golf now. It's like there's music on and we're all wearing shorts. Like, you know, there's team games going on within the bigger game. You know, there's there's all of that going. And then you got Bryson who not only shoots a 58 yesterday, but he also shoots. Where did he shoot? He shot 61-58. Well, you take a look at his score, too. Minus 23, and they're playing three rounds. That's crazy. I mean, they're playing at the Greenbrier, too, which isn't exactly easy. No, but it's... Like, it's a it's, former PGA course, but, like... It's had its fair share of 59s there, I will say, looking back on some of the history there. And you look at old uh, Richard Bland shooting a minus 16 at 50 years old. A couple other guys getting in there at 17s, 16s. So there were some low scores going around. But to your point, going like nuclear low on Saturday and Sunday was quite impressive after starting off minus two on the Friday. He shot a 58 with a bogey on the front. He shot a 28 on the front with a bogey. Yeah. That is the more of a, that might be the more ridiculous thing about that score than the actual total is the fact that it included a bogey. Yeah. To be able to shoot that number like 57. Wow. That would have been ridiculous. With arguably a cartoonish driver. Yeah, the the crank driver that he was playing. So taking some of that long drive pass that he's had, using that technology and bringing it over, I, I started thinking about like, and I even tweeted this, like what does this mean after he goes so low, wins the tournament with this driver? Because it's a copycat, I don't want to call it league, but it's a copycat era where you saw um, Wyndham Clark and Ricky win with the same putters. Now everybody wants that putter. Um, I was even listening to the Rocco Media Hour, and he's like, yeah, I got mine on order. I'm waiting for it to come in a couple of months. So, like, everybody gets jacked up for all this new equipment. And same thing, like, Bryson going out there for a guy who has hit it extremely long, but does spray it a little bit because of the club head speeds that he's creating to go into a tournament and say, yeah, I barely even have to practice with this thing and I still get the performance I need out of it. And I feel confident walking up there. Like that's 
those are high praise to put onto a golf club. And does this open up some of these secondary brands that are very niche? Um, and are we going to be seeing more of that into the future? And some of those legacy brands, which are already hemorrhaging, I think, some of their market share, is that going to continue? Um, I know you're a big guy for equipment. You're always checking out what's the latest and greatest. You were probably the first guy that I know that was on the Mizuno tip for irons, and now everybody's kind of coming around to that saying they're surprised that more people aren't using them because they probably are the best. Same thing with Shrixion irons. Um, and um, also Shrixion golf balls getting a win this week. Love my Shrixion yeah. irons. But it'll be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I, I've had Shrixion irons. I've had Shrixion irons for the last six years. Like I... And I play, I like Strixon balls. I mean, it's, it's like that. I think that I haven't ever gone to crank golf in my life and I was on their website. I'm sure they saw their, their website traffic just skyrocket yesterday, but you know, it, it's all about the money at this point. I think that's Mizuno's biggest thing. Like, a, it, you know, if, if there was no money involved, there would be, so many more guys playing Mizuno. And I think that's the same thing with drivers. I mean, TaylorMade and Callaway, Titleist, whoever, I mean, yeah, they make good drivers, but are they necessarily the absolute best? Like, these guys, they're so good that they can make up some, you know, marginal performance issues just based on their ability. But even, you know, Bryson, he was with Cobra. The driver wasn't doing what he wanted. He said it out loud, and then he switched to ping, and now he's playing a driver that looks like a ping that <laughs> it looks like a ping driver that was redesigned by Guy Fieri. <laughs> like it, there's something to it. There's no way this guy puts this driver in play unless it's working for him, right? There's too much money on the table. I don't know. It, it's it's definitely interesting, and the same thing goes. I mean, we were talking about this when we were watching when we were texting during the PGA, like. How many guys are using that lab putter now? Adam Scott started it, and then Glover wins the tournament with it. And I think Ben On uses a, a, a lab putter, and I'm pretty sure Michael Kim had one. And you know, it's like there's got to be something there. I mean, they're 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 looking for every possible little smidgen of advantage. And if Bryson gets it from using a crank driver, amazing. Same thing, you know. Lucas Glover was talking, they were saying how he was calling his putter his weapon now because he switched to it. He called up Lab Golf apparently and was like, I want the exact putter you have, you gave here that Adam Scott yeah. uses. Yeah, I heard Adam Scott opened up those floodgates and I was listening to an interview with his caddy, Glover's caddy today. Um, and he said that exact same thing. He was chasing yeah. his dick for the longest time. And the results weren't there. He was striping the ball, but just couldn't put it in the hole. And then he switches to this lab putter, and now he feels so confident. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, I saw, you know, I'm, like you said, I like the equipment space, and I watch all the YouTubers and all that. And, you know, you got Peter Finch hat was using one, and then everyone does their reviews. And then my favorite guys to watch are Busted Jack, and they both use them. And... May, I don't know if they, you know, they're better now that they have them, but they both use them and they both consistently use them and they've consistently used them for a while and they're getting obviously getting paid to do it. But, you know, there's got to be something there if guys are calling up that company and saying, send me one of those and then winning a tournament. Yeah. 
And I was actually, I was thinking in between the time I crossed over from Illinois to Wisconsin and the time that I got to Minnesota. So quite a span there. I want to try out the, as we're talking about, like how to get advantages or how to fix your game with equipment because my game is completely broken. I want to try out the single length irons for the four through the pitching wedge. Keep my wedges the same length that they are now, like a regular length, because I think that's getting a little ridiculous. But getting more confidence between the five or the four and the seven would be my key. And I would be interested to see. So if uh, anybody from Cobra is listening, I would be very interested. And I, there's got to be something there. Like DeChambeau is too smart of a guy. And I just don't think enough people who are normal golfers, I don't think the top tier guys need that. But I think for a normal golfer, you could probably improve your game and become more consistent with the single length irons. Yeah, I, the thought has gone through my head many a times. It's just, I, yeah, I, I would love to just have all my clubs the same length as my seven iron. Yeah, you know, like super comfortable with that length, super comfortable with that seven iron. Yeah, like you have a two twenty shot into a hole, and you have to pull a five iron, but you're super comfortable because it's the exact same swing and length as your seven iron, which you're super comfortable hitting. Like, there's something there. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I can't bring myself to do it, <laughs> but. Neither could I, but like if I'm doing a fitting at but some yeah, point, it's a two thousand dollar experiment, right? Like, yeah, I mean, it's a two thousand dollar experiment. <laughs> go, go get them. You're gonna drop two G's on them, and you'll find out. How right? about we like, do this? The first two thousand dollars that I make from this podcast, I will put in to getting the single length irons. How does that sound? Perfect. Deal. Uh, Deal. Okay, so we let's segue again. So we talked about um, the Wyndham Championship. We also talked about Bryson going extremely low last weekend. We talked about JT and kind of started chatting about the Ryder Cup. At the bottom of that list, so let's take out the guys who are auto-qualified right now. Sorry, before we get off Liv, can I just go on a bit of a rant Sure, right now? go for it. Cool. Liv Golf allows you to wear shorts when you play, right? Yep. Yet I saw at least two of them wearing pants. Who in their right mind while playing golf in the middle of the summer goes, oh, yeah, I'd love to wear pants today. Old chicken legs, that's it who. It makes no sense. Like, just wear shorts like every other normal person. Well, one of them is Patrick Reed, and I'm 99.9% confident that he does not have chicken <laughs> legs. But, like, <laughs> why are you wearing pants? Like, give me a I, I also pictured him with chicken legs, and he, he legitimately could. <laughs> and it would make sense why he wouldn't take the pants off. Yeah, sure. Okay. But still, like, rant. Give me a fucking break. Rant anyway. over. Yeah, okay. I'm done. So, 
for the American team, we've been chatting on and off about the bottom of this team. We've chatted about JT. Um, after last yeah. weekend, we got a bunch of guys from 7 to 14 that aren't playing well, that are not necessarily playing their way onto the team, but a lot of them that are playing off the team. Mix that with the fact you got Brooks that's already going to be auto-qualifying for the team. I think Patrick Reed, if you're looking at the best golfers, the guys with the best short game, best putters, um, guys who the Europeans don't want on the team that um, that could be on the team, he's one of the guys. So that's another name. So that's 15 guys. Captain, Captain yeah, America. Captain America. And then you add in there Bryson with, I know his major record this year hasn't been anything that's too glorious, but he's played pretty well in the majors. He's played pretty well in the live stuff. And if he comes in hot um, down the stretch here, does he warrant a spot? So right now I'm talking about we got Max Homa in 17, Cammy or sorry in seventh, Cam Young in eighth, Jordan Spieth in ninth, Keegan Bradley ten. Colin Morikow, 11, Sam Burns, 12, Ricky, 13, and J-Team, 14th. And then add on those two names that I brought up. Some people have even said DJ, even though he hasn't had the greatest two-year span. What do you see as the prospects for those guys? And who do you see on that are playing their way in? And who's going to be on the outside looking in? I don't think you can take JT. Okay. Elaborate. Who's who's getting on instead of him? I'm all high on the 58, so I want to say Bryson, but you know, I don't think you can take him. But like based on where he's at right now, I think based on his body of work, you get on the team. I'm gonna while you're thinking about that, I'm gonna play the other side of the card, and I'm gonna say if you're the European yeah. team. Would you rather have JT or Bryson? I don't know. I think it's if if like on my team or to have to play against them. Like, are you asking like if I'm the European team, do I want the US team to have one of those two, or do I want the or would I take one of them on mine? You know, I think if I'm the European team and I. I'm thinking about who I don't want to be on that team because they're going to be dangerous. I think if JT gets on that team, he's going to be dangerous because he's going to have something to prove. Plus, he's also one of the best in the world. I think he is more dangerous than Bryson from a team emotional, you know, hype standpoint. And that's exactly where I was but going I don't with it. No, if you can, and a great putter. When he gets yeah. hot, there are few that can roll the ball better than him. And if he can get on a run there with his boy uh, Jordan Spieth, and he's actually buddies with almost everybody on this list, I think he could get hot, and that would be great for the American team. And that's a guy you don't want to be facing. I just don't think Bryson is a good enough putter, and he doesn't come up big in match play for some unbeknownst reason to me he just can't wrap his head around it i think he uh i think he 
I'd be more inclined to say I would take Bryson over JT if the tournament was in the U.S. on a course set up for U.S. players. Well put. But it's not going to be. It's going to be. It's going to be a European course that's set up for the European team, and going to have to be a lot more yeah. accurate. Now, <clears throat> you know that that leans me towards Justin Thomas. I think you know I said before I don't think you can take JT just based on where he's at right now with his game, but you know he's also you know an animal that's backed into a corner right now, and if you put him on that team, he may just go off. Yeah, and right now, unfortunately, I see the guy that's currently in that's probably not going to be in as being Keegan Bradley or Sam Burns. Those are the two guys that I look at that are going to be tough ones to bring along because you know what Morikawa can do. Spieth has been there far too many times. I think Homa and Young have put together good enough resumes over the last two years, and Young... I said this to you a couple of weeks ago during the Open. He's put together back-to-back really solid uh, Open championships. So he's shown that he can play on foreign soil well and hold up well in those conditions. So I see right now, like, Sam Burns, Keegan Bradley, maybe a Fowler on the outside looking in. And if you truly wanted your best chance at winning and the best team, you would take JT and Patrick Reed. Um, those are, that's my thoughts. I think there's the, the Scotty Scheffler, Sam Burns friendship. I think you compare them together um, a lot, but I think, I think Keegan's on that team. If he, if he does well in the FedEx yeah. Cup, he's been solid all year. Um, he's been a pro for a long time, so, you, you know, he's won lots of places. He's won a major. You know, he's – I think I think he's – I don't want to say a lock, but he's in a better spot than, than Sam Burns. I think Ricky Fowler – Ricky gets on the team um, because he's hot and his resurgence is – undeniable so you want a guy coming in that's flying high on confidence and he's a good team guy everyone likes him he's friends with everyone but you go down the list like do you have a female like do you have kiriyama i heard mccarthy's name being yeah. pushed around there because i mean i'd love to see Kashmir speech but he's not yeah and you saw like a mccarthy being thrown around and why bring up um Reed is because you don't really have too many great putters. Like you got Harmon, solid putter, um, but not going to blow you away. Kepka, good putter, not great putter. Shoffley, pretty good putter. Canley can light it up sometimes. But then you look at the other guys on the list, and like Scotty being the headliner here, I keep on trying to push it off as like maybe he's not that bad as bad as people think for putting this year, but it is starting to hamper his game. So you got Scotty, Homa, so so yep. putter, Cam Young, not a good putter. Spieth can light it up. Bradley, not a good putter. Morikawa, that's been his Achilles heel because he could stripe the ball. Burns, not a good putter. Fowler, he's improved. JT can get hot. So you just look at that list and you're like, <laughs> if you got a big putt, who's it coming from, right? So, 
And that's where I... Yeah, Patrick Reed. Wearing pants. He'll fit right in again. He's just getting ready for the Ryder Cup, just keeping that feel, right? Yeah. And he also, like, you're playing in Europe, you kind of need a heel, like a, like a villain. And what's better than, like, who's a better WWE villain than Patrick Reed in the Ryder Cup? He's like the American version of, of Poulter. Yes. And with Poulter missing... Hatton's going to fill that role, so the Americans need somebody to kind of punch him in the face. Right. That's all I got. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty excited for this Ryder Cup. I think it'll be interesting to see who they pick and who gets on the team. There's a lot of storylines. There's more storylines this year than and more debate than I think historically. Um, so, I. I didn't. I didn't ever expect to see Justin Thomas have to be like a coach. Well, here's the other thing I was thinking of today during my massive drive. In the past, before the 21 Ryder Cup, they traditionally only had 10 guys, um, or sorry, they had 10 guys qualifying on points, so merit based, and then two guys, which were captains' picks. All I thought they had to do is change the timing on the captain's picks to be after the FedEx Cup for the Billy Horschel rule. They went to the extreme because the extra year with uh, COVID kind of screwed everything up. You had some guys who couldn't even hit a golf ball coming out of COVID being on that team, and it was just going to create a mess. So I understood it. But now that we're back into kind of normal times and a normal rotation, I think it really should go back to that 10-2. and it does create good TV and radio for us to argue over something, but I just, if you only had the two captain's picks, I think it would be so easy to take JT, but because there is six picks, I think it, it's a little bit tougher. Yeah. More options makes it tougher. I just, I think so. Well, that's the way I see it because you got to make so many more decisions. If you go chalk, that's that's the easy way out, right? And like, is he going to do that? I don't know. That would make his life easy. But now he's got six decisions yeah. he's got to make, right? And he could go totally out in left field, pick three guys from Liv that we just listed, um, pick JT, Ricky, and Tony Fanu, and bring back pretty much the team that was there at Whistling Straits. Yeah. So, I don't know. But to your point, it will be interesting to see where they go. Um, so just got to wait and see. And until that happens, until it's finalized, we can keep on having content to talk about. So, yeah, I'll throw this out there to you. Did you know that we have two listeners from Germany and two from Australia? So either somebody's and one one from no. Bosnia. So. Shout out to our listeners in those spots, Germany, Australia, Bosnia. And uh, unless somebody's using a VPN out of our group of friends, that's pretty cool. Yeah, I wouldn't put it past them to do that to <laughs> us, but I'm just going to assume that they're not at this point, but we just gave them the idea. Um, that is really cool. Someone's hurting for golf t- content if they're listening to us, but I appreciate it. We're, uh, we're almost at the... 100 uh, download mark. So thank you to all the listeners out there that have spent their time with us listening to two and sometimes three idiots talk about golf. 
listening to us have the conversations that we normally just have. We're just recording. Exactly. Exactly. So with a lot less yelling <laughs> and, and, throwing and, and fruit cups being thrown from across the room because somebody jumped onto the LeBron bandwagon. Yeah, exactly. All right. I think that's good enough for this week. Can't hate on his resume. All, All right, right, man. Drive right, safe. Thanks. I'll see you later. Okay. Good chat. Later. All right, man. Later. I'm going to have a lot of cut.